Another day, another dollar here in post-pandemic America. And uh, it was before my time, obviously, and probably before the time of many people listening. But I've always wondered what was the thought process when the United States decided to outlaw cannabis under uh, Nixon, outlaw cannabis and treat it as in the same category as things like cocaine and meth and uh, heroin. What was the actual process in D.C.? What were people saying at the time? How could they do such an outrageous thing? You know, now in modernity in 2023, about 80% of the U.S. has some form of legal weed, either recreational or medical. It's now available in about 80% of the states. And uh, many other countries have softened their stance on cannabis also. Some countries basically acknowledging that they got things wrong. Now, the federal government in D.C. will never acknowledge that they got this wrong. They will never acknowledge that they ruined a whole generation putting people in prison for what is just, you know, a plant found all over the world. Not only is it not as harmful as things like heroin and cocaine, which it was classified alongside, it might even be beneficial. It might even be beneficial for you, all the anti-inflammatory uh, anti properties and a potentially safer way to get to get quote-unquote buzzed or high than using alcohol, which we know has an impact on the body if it's used too often uh, or to excess. So how did, they, how did they ruin this beautiful thing and justify putting a generation of people in prison, in for-profit prisons, invested in by boomer, boomer politicians, uh, right? Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions back in the Trump era was allegedly a big investor in private prisons. Big investor in, in companies like the Corrections Corporation of America, CCA. And, uh, and yet, uh, you know, we know that it's BS now. So how did that happen? How did that whole process go down? Well, I imagine they villainized cannabis and cannabis smokers and took things out of context and fear-mongered. And back in the 1970s when they did this, they had top-down media, right? You could just say something on the evening news. And there was no ability for you or me as a member of the public to really speak back. We could send a, a newspaper uh, letter to the editor, and they could choose to publish it or not at the you know bottom or last page of their newspaper. And that was it. That was the extent of our feedback loop. Well, today we can respond to tweets if some doctor or some politician says something about cannabis that's not true. A thousand people reply to them on Twitter or on Facebook, and we see the other side of the argument. But again, they had the benefit, these, these elite controllers in D.C. had the benefit back in the 70s of being able to say, hey, this is harmful, and we're going to outlaw it for your own good. And the kind of awake people on this topic, again, had no means of, of pushing back. Well, today we're seeing the same thing with crypto. We're seeing this old grandmother, Christine Lagarde, uh, who works for the European Central Bank, president of the European Central Bank, and close friend of the Rothschild family. Not a conspiracy theory. She's literally their close friend. You can Google this. <laughs> this academic grandmother... 
Christine Lagarde talking about we need more control and putting her, her little gray fist together, making a little gray fist, like a little monkey fist, as she says the word control. We need more control, control. I mean, here's a literal quote. We are considering for very small amounts, anything around 300 to 400 euro, a mechanism where there is zero control, but that could be dangerous. That could be dangerous. So what she's saying is that even using 300 euros, which is the equivalent of roughly $300 given the current exchange rate, give or take, let's say $280. She's saying even giving another citizen 280 bucks to pay your rent or to pay back a friend or something is an area where they need complete control. They need complete control over your existence. And I gotta say, it just bubbles out of me. Who the F does this grandmother think she is? Who does this lady think she is that she's going to unilaterally control the economic interactions of 4 billion human beings in the West? Who does she think she is? And anybody who listens to her, who do you think you are? <laughs> but that's what's happening now is we're seeing all these bureaucrat boomers like Christine Lagarde suddenly out of nowhere treat crypto as public enemy number one. And again, I imagine they did the same thing with cannabis in the run-up to adding it to Schedule 1 prohibition. Schedule 1 uh, forbidding it, saying it has no medical use whatsoever. Now they're trying to say that crypto has no legitimate economic use and we need more control of every little transaction you make. And again, who do these people think they are? This time around, we have the benefit of we can push back. We can create our own media we can respond to these people on Twitter like Christine Lagarde and on Facebook and elsewhere. And we can say, no, you don't get to be even more control freaks than you were during the pandemic. We came out of three years of pandemic and now we need to be lectured by Grandma, Grandma Christine Lagarde about how she needs to have her nose, her nose and eyeballs in every single transaction you make, even transactions as small as $280 cash. It's truly outrageous. It's truly outrageous, it's not reasonable, and it cannot be reasoned with. These policies cannot be reasoned with. Instead of chilling out a little bit, after three years of having orders barked at us by the boomers in DC and London and Brussels, three years of top-down crap, of authoritarian crap, and now we're finally over the pandemic, and they move on to crypto as publicly, public enemy number one. It's first of all, so fake. It's so performative and fake that it blows my mind. But again, I imagine in the run-up to outlawing cannabis in the West, this is what they did, is they made it sound like it was the worst thing ever. And then there's some level of public support for banning it. And they're trying to do the same thing with your precious crypto. And I'm just saying as a researcher, it's gonna be a lot harder. A lot harder because for one thing, you can't really ban or seize people's crypto at scale, right? The 100 million to 200 million people who use crypto. You can't take away their access to crypto markets unless you want to ban the Internet, which would have, you know, tremendous, tremendous collateral effects on the economy itself. If you ban the Internet, that means banning access to email access to online reservations, access to online banking, right? It's something they would never do. They would never ban the internet. 
And so in a way, in a way, they're backed into a corner. They've chosen to declare this war on lawful P2P money, peer-to-peer money. They've chosen this as their new fight. But unlike cannabis a generation ago, the people you're, uh, the people you're villainizing can speak back. The people you're villainizing can say their say. And we can put our money into funding candidates, funding candidates and bureaucrats who are more reasonable. But in the meantime, we can actually you know, refute what they're saying. Okay, you want complete control of our transactions, even $280? Again, who do you think you are, you old Nazi grandmother? Who do you think you are? And meanwhile, Hong Kong, uh, with the blessing of mainland China, the blessing of the Chinese government, is moving full steam ahead with crypto ownership and stuff. And here in the U.S., you got the NASDAQ, which is one of the biggest stock exchanges aside from the New York Stock Exchange. The NASDAQ, which lists Microsoft and many other productive companies, saying later this year they're going to offer Bitcoin and crypto custody services for their customers. And of course, Fidelity, one of the largest financial institutions on the planet, uh, Massachusetts-based Fidelity, is already doing that, already offering to all their customers the ability to buy cryptos and store it with them. And so this, this weird fight that's brewing, it's going to go a lot different than how some of these boomer controllers think it's going to go. Because again, we can give money to candidates who are not for this authoritarianism, candidates who are for choice and money, and we can simply speak back. I don't see crypto as the big bad wolf that Christine Lagarde says it is. The more she uses that word control and tightens her little gray fist, the more I think, are you people the bad people? Is it not crypto at all that's the problem? But it's these weird central bank controllers like Christine Lagarde and her equivalents here in the U.S. Is that the problem? Because when I hear her speak about crypto, she sounds literally insane. And I imagine they had to do this again in the run-up to outlawing cannabis. They had to make it sound so dangerous when it really wasn't. Well, now you're getting the same kind of characters same characters of the average crypto user, same exaggerations of the risks and dangers, and no acknowledgement of the benefits, no acknowledgement of all the millennials who not only survived the pandemic, but now are sitting on some real purchasing power, sitting on some real cash because crypto came in. Where's her respect for that? This old boomer who had a great life in her 30 years friendship with the Rothschilds, she had a fantastic life that most of us can only dream of. And now she tightens her little gray fist and says, we need even more control. They, they can see every single transaction you make in the entire banking system, whether it's $280 or $5, they already see that. And she says, we need even more control. Hey, you know, time for the debate to begin. And at least this time around, it'll truly be a debate. Pro-coiners versus no-coiners like Christine Lagarde. Let's have that debate. This never happened with cannabis, right? Nixon, Nixon in some crazy rage against the hippies who were protesting him and his uh, fumbling war in Vietnam, he decided that he would, he would criminalize cannabis as a means of going after those protesters. And now we know that for a fact. It's historical fact that he wasn't so much concerned about cannabis. 
He wanted an easy way to jail and discredit the uh, activist community, the anti-war community. We know that for a fact. And so even uh, Roger Stone, one of his close people, Roger Stone a few years ago gave an interview where he claimed that Nixon regretted it. Nixon later regretted being a part of the criminalization of cannabis. And here we have this epic opportunity as a civilization to look these old controller boomers in the eyes, these folks like Christine Lagarde, and to say, nope, you're not gonna make the same F up a second time around. You're not gonna criminalize a whole generation of uh, hopeful and productive young people who hold some crypto. You're not gonna turn them into the new potheads and jail them for 20 years for simply using neutral money that's not controlled by a handful of families. You're not gonna do that. And if you do, it's gonna be only after this debate has played out. Because now we have two-way media. Before we didn't, right? 1970s newspaper uh, opinion piece comes out. We need to outlaw cannabis now to save, to save our youth. We need to put the youth in prison forever to save them. Hey, that doesn't make much sense. Just like to save our economy, you need to destroy the thing that millions of us are invested in. Doesn't make much sense either. So let's have that debate. Thank you guys so much. All right, that just went out on TikTok. But yeah, that's that's how I feel about things. Is hey, you're going to you're going to make crypto out to be something it's not at all just cuz you're now in some panic. They're in a panic. It came out recently that for every dollar you put into crypto, whether it be Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything else, every dollar you pull out of your bank account and put into a crypto is the equivalent of them losing $9. This is mind-blowing, right? You put $1 in a Bitcoin, your bank you just withdrew it from has effectively lost $9 because on your dollar deposit, they can loan out up to nine bucks in terms of mortgages and car loans and stuff. They can lend out $9 based on your $1. And if your $1 is suddenly taken out, they can't do that at all, and the whole house of cards might come collapsing down. But I don't think that's the fault of Bitcoin. If you've built your entire system on a house of cards and a breeze comes along, that's not the fault of the breeze. It's your fault for building a house of cards in the first place. Aside from the books, find David and Fulcrum over on our podcast. If you're looking for a source of real news and analysis, Search for and add Fulcrum News on Apple Podcast or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also find the show over at fulcrumnews.com anytime commercial free. You're listening to Fulcrum News, real news from America and around the world. Fulcrumnews.com slash subscribe to get our premium membership and updates via email.